0: Hello, and welcome to Where's Shaz, the podcast. I'm Shaz Ahmed, and my mission is to empower, educate, and inspire you with stories, knowledge, and guests in the world of property, finance, and business. So let's go. Welcome, welcome to the podcast again, everyone. So right, my guest today is quite simply the man at the moment. Uh, award-winning property investor and developer uh, finance raising champion and HMO specialist it's Alfred Zade. Alfred welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you Shaz thank you It's a long time coming I know we've been going back and forth with dates but I'm, I'm glad we finally made it.
0: Listen, it's a good thing I'm persistent Alfred.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> right no it's good to have you man so um, look, first thing I ask everyone just to share uh, is their personal mission statement so why are you doing what you're doing?
1: Personal mission statement? I've never had anyone position it like that, but <laughs> I want to say it's, it's a, I guess it's, it's a mission statement in a sense of what do I want to do out of my life. Um, for me, I guess it's all about wealth creation, um, empowering others, inspiring people around me to want more for themselves as well. I kind of always find it that I want more for others than they want for themselves, which is quite strange. Um, but I guess I'm just trying to empower people and, and get them to kind of see things from a different lens or different perspective. But yeah, very simply for myself personally, I'm on this wealth creation journey um, to build wealth, whether it's through property or through businesses. Um, And yeah, obviously other things will come off that. Obviously wealth is in like the the main, main thing. I think that the whole thing revolves around, I guess, having freedom and being able to do what it is you want to do and wealth unlocks that.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, wealth is a way that you say for freedom and then I think everyone wants freedom. Everyone may not want money, but freedom is what you want and, and money is an enabler to that. So that's awesome. Um, let's cycle back a bit, Alfred, what were you doing before you went head first into property?
1: So I was, I was, I can corporate days. I was a project manager, so I was managing projects, quite exciting projects. So I, I used to work on the four cylinder engine that goes into the, um, Range Rover vehicles and some of the Jaguar vehicles. So I used to work for Jaguar Land Rover. Um, so we had a team of engineers would kind of work him to del- deliver this engine. This was a new engineering engine that was going into these vehicles. And it was the first engine that Jaguar Land Rover produced themselves. So it was a big big it was a big big deal. It was like a two hundred million pound project. So big investment from the company to try and create their own engines and move away from Ford. Um, so that was what I was working on. Then I think those first two years of working there. And then I then went on to another side of the company, which was Special Vehicle Operations. That's the more exciting stuff. That's like the <laughs> all the SVR, people don't know SVR, so this is just like this, I guess, these like are kind of the bespoke, um, I guess, what would you want to call it? In essence, these are the vehicles that, if you wanted to kind of go on the high end, spend more money with the company, you can kind of tailor the car to how you want it to be in terms of specs um, and like, there's there's a lot. The, the usual offering isn't available, like readily available like that. Um, but these vehicles are obviously a lot more specced up, a lot more performance enabled uh, than your regular base vehicle that you get from the normal dealership. I, I would say. Um, but yeah, those are exciting times in the sense these cars obviously cost a lot more to produce and cost a lot more to sell onto the customer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we got, to, we got we got to, I got to kind of experience like, I guess the luxury side of the company, because this, this side of the company, an average person who's affording these type of vehicles are all business owners. They were multiple businesses for them, but this car is like probably a percent of their wealth, a percent point, something percent of their wealth. So it's like for them, they just enjoy wanting to have a unique product made for them. Um, and I got to get in the minds as well of of what these owners um, think of, of, of themselves in terms of how they want to represent themselves and how. The vehicles they're buying represents them because in essence they want to feel like nobody else has this vehicle but them um it's very very interesting
0: so it's quite bespoke okay um two questions were you good at your job and did you enjoy your job
1: i, I would say so i think I never, <laughs> and, and the reason i fully put into context so i had come out of uni uh when i was 21 22. so i was still relatively young quite in a senior role um but again i think that the the person that interviewed me took a chance on me on the on basis that i had managed a group of 12 engineers as my master's degree as part of a master's degree um and in essence we're, we're creating a product as well so similar similar principles similar philosophy and said you know what um we will take you on so the, the deal was this, this was a this this was a deal the question was would you take a slightly lesser pay which just just is well, still a good pay <laughs> <laughs> manager was thinking from the point of view, I can save the company money by not necessarily going for someone who's got the credentials of the experience in, at several companies we will go with someone younger, who's got some experience, it's knowledge base as well, and paying slightly less than we would pay for the top tier if you want to call it that and take the chance with this, with this guy but in this effect. In effect this kid <laughs> and that's what got me the job and I think I positioned myself as someone who's kind of been through then and, and, and done it obviously I still got a lot to learn and was willing to learn and that's what that's what um, I guess enabled me to get a job but I would say I learned a lot and I was very quick to implement stuff that I'd learned I've mean, the manager I had it was very very good in the sense he was in effect my mentor coach in the project manager world how to kind of teach me how to get the best out of people how to position some emails to get the results you want these clever little, little things which you wouldn't really experience for uni. And these are like real yeah. life skills, which I now even implement in my business. So I would say, I would say I was good. Um, and, I, and I did enjoy my job because I'm in, I'm in, I'm in cars all the time. Yeah. I used to take manager cars out, I'd go on the racetracks. So great experience being the company, can't really fault it. It's been, it's been amazing working there for sure.
0: And, um, let's say you were still with, with the company was, there any progression opportunities or was there a ceiling that, you know, that not going so to
1: Yeah. so. I, I think obviously, ultimately, there is a progression. It's just, are you willing to spend that time to get to what it is you you want to get to? Um, I had, I was contracted, so I wasn't employed. So personal development wise, I had to invest in myself with the salary I was earning to, I guess, develop myself within the role, which I did. I went on project management courses outside of it um, to increase, I guess, my value in the marketplace. And that was actually what a strategy I'd used to kind of increase my income. But then I'd got to like 60K um, and it was like at that point, there was no more motivation. I think the, the next level up was experience and whether it's diagonally moving across the company or moving from company to another company to gain the experience, to be able to try and become a senior project manager to get past the six figure mark. So at that point, it was like, I'm not willing to invest that energy and time into doing this. So let's explore our um, areas.
0: Perfect. And that moves quite well on to the next kind of topic, really, Alfred. So you've invested in yourself quite heavily uh, through different courses and kind of training and so on. Why was it that you went to that direction of property training and and nothing else?
1: It was, it was just the go-to thing for me, I guess, I guess back at uni, I always used to talk about like buying property and using as a retirement vehicle. Um, so I just literally fell back on that and was like, okay, cool. This, this is what I would kind of discuss back at uni. What does it actually mean? Let's go do some research. So obviously outside working hours, coming home in the evenings, I would look at investment opportunities and i said, property was the first thing I went to. So I just literally spoke to my friends about it, kind of who have all kind of come out of uni, got a job as well in the same position to myself, just kind of getting their viewpoint of what their thoughts are of working and what can we do outside of that. So it's like, in effect, like a mini mastermind group.
0: Yeah, of <laughs> course. some
1: ideas of each other just to see what's possible. And then one of my friends then decided, he, he searched up some stuff on property and there was this investment seminar. Um, mm-hmm. So he's the one that actually said, let's go, let's go check it out. It's like a two hour seminar on the weekend. Let's go uh, check it out. And that, that was literally the beginning for me. And I got hooked from there. I heard what I heard in that seminar. And then after that, it made sense. I went into the basic training, which, which is like a three day um, training, which was, I think a thousand pounds at the time investment for the three day training. So I did that, then there was up, there was another upsell, um, on the, uh, basic training, which was like, there's, there's, there were several options. But I chose this program. It was like 24 grand to have a mentorship. Um, and then also have, I think four, four courses alongside a mentorship program over a two year period. You'd also get like a a repeat of each course, uh, or I guess a retake of each course, um, as I went over that two year period.
0: Sure. And through that then, I guess, why HMOs? Why not single lets, why not service accommodation?
1: You know what? So, at the time, I didn't really, I'm not one to overthink things, I would say. Um, For me, I guess goal setting wise, it was very clear, I wanted to build wealth by ownership. So, eliminate all the control strategies, rent to rent, lease options, all that stuff. It just eliminate that. I wanted to be able to go in, buy, add value. Um, so, the, pretty much the two left strategies, or the, I guess you can consider commercial, but I was disregarding that as being a quite an advanced strategy at the time. Um, so, the two strategies that were left are buy to lets and HMOs. So, buy to lets for me at the time didn't make sense based on what I was earning. It would take too many of those buy to lets to replace my income. So, the next best thing was HMOs. So, it was literally HMOs, I could own it. And two, I can, I can produce high cash flows from this building. So those are the two items I looked at and that was enough for me to go in and say, look, HMOs, how does it work? What do, what do we need to do to become a HMO investor? and Make it happen, basically.
0: Make it happen, that's it now. How, how many have you got now?
1: I've got five at the moment um, and I've got basically three more going through, uh, which obviously you're aware of as well. <laughs> yeah, so,
0: so you're, not, you're not slowing down. So what's, what's the overall aim in terms of properties or numbers in terms of that portfolio?
1: I haven't really, H, HMO, so okay, so I think I need to put this into context, so obviously HMOs are a good strategy for cash flow, but I don't intend to be one of these landlords that I've got 100 HMOs, I have no intention, I think even where I am now, I could, well maybe after this next three, I can call it quits on the HMO front, because HMOs have its problems in a sense, and just management wise, obviously I've got management in place, but still, there's, there's a constant, like needing for attention, whether it's maintenance, whether it's the tenants, whatever, just there's just so much going on with with that. So I don't want to create this 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 beast of a portfolio of full of HMOs. Um, I, I personally don't see it as a as a long term strategy, I kind of it's, it's, it's for me, it's kind of serving its purpose for now, to allow me to build income cash flow to allow me to then employ people and create other things outside of property as well so um, I'm not gonna go crazy with it I think sub 10 is enough for me um, and I'll look outside of that and other opportunities.
0: Sure Um, and what what you've done quite well Alfred through obviously we've met each other maybe known each other for two and a half years I think this is about right with Skrills and and so on you know along with actually doing the property things you've built up your profile really well as well so social media YouTube events speaking um, you know, you're now, I guess, what you'd say, a personality within within the bubble of, of property, and you've even got a videographer. So you've got this guy following you around at events. Well, what's that all about?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's literally documenting what you do, and just for me, I, I want to look back and kind of I, anybody kind of who's seen my growth, or kind of has seen from the beginning, like me starting off like behind the camera, walking around properties, talking about what it is I'm doing. Then as I built more confidence, getting in front of the camera. Um, still by hand, still messing around with, yeah, basically not good quality stuff. Then moving on to hiring a videographer to get more professional content done, to, so just to sharpen it up a bit more. Um, and then just it's now become part of life, so as each my lifestyle now. Like, I document everything where possible, um, where I can get someone along with me. Like, if I can, if I can document even this, like, <laughs> 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 like have a full time videographer around me all the time, everything I'm doing because I, I, I do a lot of things, like it's very hard to, to kind of video everything. It's, do you know what I mean, so it, um, so yeah, hence, I've got someone I've, I've got someone on a retainer who's helping create the content on the days that I want them out. Um, I'll get them out with me to just yeah, to just document stuff and then post on the YouTube and hopefully inspire others as well to do the same.
0: That's very, uh, very Kanye West, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm, de- I'm definitely gonna have a, a, some sort of biography create or I'm gonna, I'm gonna write a book towards the end of my journey, I guess, um, and I'll probably document, i have create a documentary or something for sure. Why not? Love
0: that man, love that. Um, right, so one of the things you're definitely good at, and I know you've kind of put this out there as well, is raising private finance, obviously you've got lenders, and lenders, I guess, you know, you'll need at some point, there's no way around it most of the time, but you're also good at raising private finance for investors. How do you do that, and what, what do people need to have personality-wise or skill-wise to actually be good at that?
1: Um. I've never even thought of in terms of like a skill set. I guess there actually there is a skill set. So I guess one, being a people's person, because no, everybody finds it easier to interact with people and be sociable. For example, you can walk in the room, you could be that person that just stands in the corner of the room and want to be approached all the time. Or you could be that person that goes and says, hi guys, you guys okay, how's it going? And introduce yourself and, and just have the icebreaker conversation and get to know each other. So I think being a people's person does definitely help. Um, but it doesn't. it's not It's not a showstopper um, because the way I started to raise finance was talking to my immediate circle. So I would hope if you've got friends, family, work colleagues that you work with, you're very comfortable enough to speak to those people because you've, you've spoken to them enough times. So you don't necessarily need courage or anything to go and approach those people or have a conversation about what it is you're doing to those people. So I think from that point of view, You probably don't even necessarily need that but obviously it's a plus when it comes to strangers and being a a person you've never met Uh, obviously in my case now i'm raising finance through people that i've never technically met they kind of just follow me through the socials and uh, then approach me and say look i've got some funds here what can we do with it and at that point it's just then this interaction begins so being able to hold a conversation and, and kind of just see what they're about what's important to them and then going from there really um, I would say, as well, with the raising finance stuff, I think with anything in life, this principle applies, being persistent. um because i don't I don't raise money every single day. There's days where I get rejected I' to get, get no leads or nothing, but I go keep I have to keep it going, and I have to keep putting myself out there and potentially put myself out there in, in an uncomfortable position. Mm-hmm. And people might think, oh, Alpha is always raising money. I'm like, well, yeah. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna scale. Why would I not be trying to raise money? Like, if I had more money, I would do bigger deals. I would do more things. So, putting myself out there is just allowing me to get lucky. Um, because I always say, like, I tell this saying from Grant Cardone, where is like market like nobody's ever seen. So don't, don't assume because you put it out seven days in a week, the whole wide world has seen it, or the, or the people that follow you or whatever have seen it there's that one day you might post that this person is now looking at the Instagram and they've seen it. So I don't care. I don't care if someone's thinking why I was posting about raising funds, I'm like, cause I'm trying to raise funds. <laughs> that's <laughs> You got to do, you got to do what you need to do to get, do you know what I mean? To get lucky sometimes. Um, and, and, and that's all it really is. Um, but I would say when it comes to raising finance, you want to initially start off with people closest to yourself. I know people kind of look at this whole investor, where can I find investors? I'm like, guys, Going, going to buy it all wrong no stranger is honestly it's very unlikely you're going to meet somebody today and they're going to give you 50 grand 100 grand um they might do if they're maybe they're really rich and they like you and they whatever they want to just financially back you and that's okay but that's a very very low possibility so you've got a higher possibility with people that you've known all your childhood you work with them all the time they know what you're like what your work ethic is. So they're basically going on based on you as an individual and what you're capable of doing and whether they trust you really. And if they do that, they're happy to do a deal with you pretty much. Um, and that's what I've done.
0: That's helpful. And, um, do you find at the stage you're at perhaps Alfred, that you're getting more money from people who actually want to get into property eventually, or just people who want the return on their money?
1: Um, I've, I've got a mixture of both. I've got a mixture of both. Obviously I like the guys who are just wanting to get a on investment because for them, they're already occupied in life in terms of being a family person potentially or being a career focused person all they want to do is progress in their career and they haven't got time to look at investment opportunities so they want to find a safe pair of hands where they can literally provide them with the capital they requires required and get a return whether it's monthly whether it's annually they just know that the money's working hard for them because at, every, at the end of the day we all know or should know that money sat in a bank account doing nothing or in a savings or ISA even rates of returns aren't great they're not being inflation and therefore means you're losing the hard and money that you've put together so ideally you want it in a vehicle which could be myself which could be a, a asset-based vehicle whatever um to grow that money as opposed to just leaving it in your bank account for the sake of sa- saving money mm-hmm. um so yeah uh, for me it's yeah
0: okay sure and um so we spoke about you know raising money, obviously some of your property stuff as well, uh, and social media and content creation. What does like the average day look like? How do you compartmentalize these things?
1: Yeah, so I think starting out, I'll probably take it back. I think when I first, first going into the whole HMO game, I wanted to understand how it works because I've never obviously done a HMO conversion before. Obviously, HMO talked about being a quite kind of a higher, I guess, barrier to entry strategy. So it was first firstly trying to understand okay who in my investment area. Um I'll probably rewind it back. So my investment area wise, I didn't really do much research, if I'm honest. I just kind of knew that investors invest in this area. It works for them. So if it works for them, chances are it's gonna work for me too. Then it was about understanding, okay, what exactly are they doing to create these products? What kind of properties are they looking at buying and acquiring to then be able to convert it? What does that look like? and what does it look like on the back end so i spent a lot of time around investors who invested in that area going around seeing their projects to kind of get understanding of okay how this is happening and what the model looks like and i'm not one again kind of coming off the back of that i'm not one to reinvent the wheel obviously i could take some of the attributes that i like and some attributes that i don't like for example there was models that i had seen where i wasn't it wasn't for me um so then i kind of looked at other models which fit fit, I guess best suited me so for me what that looks like is generally speaking I'm looking for a Victorian home one because of the high ceilings um two this Victorian home ideally has three bedrooms two reception rooms so two reception rooms down the bottom on the ground floor and then three or four rooms if you include the loft so three rooms on the the first floor and then potentially on the second floor has got the loft has been converted already as well um so these are the quite sizable properties uh, which then allows me to be able to convert all of these rooms into ensuite rooms because they're not they're naturally good size rooms um so you can kind of put on suite in there and still have a good living space available um so for me that's kind of the go-to type of property i would i would look at and then in terms of i guess numbers and how i structure the deals so I would always look to obviously use bridging on the front end to acquire the property and usually would we'll get the development finance alongside um the purchase of the property to allow me to then have to put i guess less capital up front uh, towards towards it and then know that the, the lenders are going to pay in arrears um, as i progress the works um and generally speaking that's about a 70 or 65 70 split um loan to value so, which means I normally need about 30 to 35% of the purchase price as a deposit going in. Um, once they kind of min- minus all their fees and stuff, that's where you kind of arrive to. Um, and I've kind of just replicated that model. And in a sense, on the back end, I will then go away and find a new lender, or potentially the same lender who has a long term product, which will be in this case a commercial mortgage. I guess just to kind of rewind it back a little bit. So for me to obviously get the commercial mortgage, I need to try and do something different to a residential property. And for me, the way I do this is by going through planning. So I'll go through planning to change the use from a residential um, home to a Generous, which falls under the class of being a commercial unit, basically, and therefore, on a valuation point of view, they can value the property on the basis that is now a commercial building um, and value it based on, on the rental income to allow me to maximize and valuation as, as, as much as possible. Obviously, with a pinch of salt, in terms of some areas in the country, you might get bricks and mortar. Like in London, the bricks and mortar valuation will probably be higher than the commercial valuation. So again, this is where it's important to understand what other investors have done in your area and what's working well, and identifying that and you replicating that. And for me, I knew to kind of maximise the valuation of the building in, in, in the Midlands, you need to kind of push for a commercial vow uh, rather than sticking to bricks and mortar. Uh,
0: and what's been what's been your experience then with with the planning department you know how or how can people get them on the side
1: little cheat code work with an architect who is very familiar with the planning authority already think of it this way if if you're a planner and you've just been put a case you put a case been put in front of you and you're like who the hell is the architect you're probably going to be a lot more stringent than if you've seen the architect's name like twenty times or hundred times over. You're like, oh, he's back again. He's got another one. He's good for it. Like you, you just know because based on the experience you've had with that architect, what what they're capable of delivering. So on that basis, like you can very. I said it's not, it should be easy. I don't want to say it becomes easy, but it, it becomes easier yeah, yeah. to get the planning when you when the planners already know who your architect is and what 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 um, they know how capable the architect is um on a night basis they kind of as long as it obviously fits within the criteria and it meets the regulation all that stuff there's no reason why they will approve um, reject it basically so that's been my cheat code in terms of game planning i've never been was it never yeah i can say i can say it was never i've never been refused <laughs> um, planning and i've yeah. done maybe i think six now seven um planning planning games now um i've i've withdrawn one so yeah no because that's what i can say so I was, I was thinking can i say that yeah yeah i can i <laughs> um, drew an application because we mid midway through the application we realized that this wasn't going to work so we redrew it and tweaked the scheme and resubmitted it so yeah so obviously again you can learn things and then readjust and i guess that's what happens in life anyways when things aren't going the way, or you can potentially see that you're going to fall in, get into getting a bit of a problem then you can readjust and then go again basically so yeah cheat code find the architect in the area who's familiar with the planners and that should enable you to oh, improve your chance of getting planning approval.
0: Awesome. And um, what you said there actually trickles down to lending. So when you say like, if the um, planning department sees this specific architect, they know he's, he's kind of capable. Yeah. If, if a lender sees your name on a specific project, they know you've done it before, they know you're gonna deliver, they know you've paid them back already. They're kind of more comfortable with you. So how would you say your experience has been with lenders and lending?
1: Yeah, so I think I've got a unique case in a sense, I've kind of stuck to one lender, which is kind of a higher risk thing as well, because if that lender goes bust, then I'm kind of tired, my hands are tired to whoever, if they get acquired by somebody else, basically to save them, I'm going to have to kind of get to terms of wherever their new rules are. Um, so, but I, I think I've made a calculated decision based on what I think and what I've seen so far. Um, and I just, I mean, I think for me, the reason why I've stuck to that same lender is just simply because. I want to go through the process as quickly as possible. So when you switch over lenders, um you pretty much have to restart. Don't get me wrong, you still have to kind of go through the process again either way, but I think there's an accelerated process if you're staying with the same lender. So if this is a bridge led product that they have, then the chances are that they've already done the history and the building, they know what it is about, done the searches, all that stuff. Um so as long as the works has been completed as to the specs of what you said and the, the value has gone out and it's all matching up. They're very quickly to kind of moving on to, okay, what's the end valuation? How much do we need to lend against? What, what's, what do we need to repay ourselves and get the money through the system quicker? So there's there's less work needing to be done again um to kind of go through the process. So that's why I've kind of done it mainly for speed.
0: Okay. And so that, that streamlined process, is it at the expense of fees and costs? Like what are your thoughts? Cause a lot of people say bridging finance, different finance. It's too expensive, a lot of fees. What are you thinking?
1: Yeah, so don't get me wrong, the fees are high, like even the lenders, so I can, I can, I can, I can, I guess I'm probably not a good time to mention a name, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So generally speaking, I think the, the competitive, for me anyways, it, it makes, it makes sense. And I'll tell you why it makes sense. So I think we had this conversation before even shows like, right, why not consider a lower rate, potentially with another lender. Um, but for me, it was about being able to get out of the product, because bridging is obviously the most expensive part, and you want to go into long term product. And it was one occasion where we had a valuation done on the exist prior to our starting the works. And if I moved to a new lender, it would have meant I have to get a new value out to re- revalue out again. So was like, why would I do that? Spend another two and a half grand, potential or two grand, whatever it is, for the valuation to be done. Rather I can just stick with the same lender, use the old valuation report and get the refinance done a lot quicker than kind of going back around and starting again. So and that that meant I was I was losing half a percent which is still going of be a, a bit of money. But I'm like, I'm after the speed of implementation and getting out of the, getting out of this, this, this high interest product and getting back to the normal stuff. So for me, I think if, if I can get out of stuff quicker, I'm more wanting to move to that, wanting, wanting to work with that lender. I'm not necessarily looking at rates per se. Um, I haven't even said the whole thing about brokers. Um, I'm more interested in what broker can do for me in terms of um, the the what's it called, the rates. I'm more interested in, in the broker's relationship with the lender, because I know when when the hard times come, when the lender's asking 10,000 questions, some lenders will relax themselves because they've worked with this broker several times and they can they can take this, this broker's word for it. And the word alone is, it goes enough to kind of get things moving forward. So yeah, for me, relationship is more important to me than the figures, um, and that's why I stuck with them. They kind of know me now. We've done several projects together now. They don't know what I'm, what I'm good for. Like we've we've done creative things because I've stuck with the same lender. So there is benefits of doing that, but obviously on the back end, it's kind of higher risk if if that lender goes bust for whatever reason.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think um, well, one thing that I've just picked up on is you're looking at the long term view. So yeah, the bridging is there for what, six, nine, twelve months, but the mortgage is there for ten, fifteen years. So you're looking at that, output, which is which is what you should be doing really. Um, yeah, and in terms of sticking with one lender, it's not a bad thing. I think one of the drawbacks. For me from this side is that a lot of these bridging lenders they're not risk averse per se but they take a lot of security so personal guarantee charge on the property and then also debenture on the company and that can limit you when it comes to future lending so it's just things to keep in mind for people i suppose yeah um because one of the one of the suggestions actually that someone gave me i I, I went to a lender i said look why do you actually want this debenture just take it off because just it just makes issues getting uh, the finance and they said, look, well, it's not a problem. Um, just get the client to set up a brand new SPV for future purchases. I'm like, that's not practical for every single purchase. So, just keep that in mind. <laughs> um, yeah, and Alfred, looks so in terms of things, I guess away from probably, property, you know, public speaking and events. I guess you're you're at a stage now where you are being asked to speak at events. Uh, you've got this profile. Do you say do you say no to many things?
1: You know what? I'm not I'm not at a stage in my life where I'm saying no to things yet. Um, yeah, obviously, like obviously it depends in what context. So, in a context where I can get exposure um, get around a new audience self audience and that don't know who I am, for me, I'm like, yes, why not? And and again, it's just about positioning yourself, creating a brand, getting people to know who you are. So those kind of those kind of opportunities I never say no to. Uh, obviously assuming that I can support their timing and all that stuff, definitely will, will love to do that stuff because I feel like it's only, Helping myself grow, I've raised finance from back on the back end of doing presentation. I've yeah, I've had people join my mastermind group uh, of the back end of that. So it's like, people ask me to do mentoring and stuff and all that like, coaching stuff. But anyways, that's another that's another conversation. But yeah, so for me, I'm not against that kind of stuff. What I am against is potentially spending time talking about stuff which has zero value. Let,
0: let me buy you a coffee. Like let me buy you a
1: an nando. Talk- <laughs> Can I pick your brain? I- <laughs> Like all these things, like I just, I just kind of funnel them down to the mastermind group and say, look, if you, if you kind of want to be up in contact to me, have access to me, I think the best thing available which I offer is the mastermind group. Anything else out of that, I don't really do. Um, as you already know, I'm a very active person. I'm doing deals myself. I'm still looking at growing, still looking at scaling. So I haven't got all the time to kind of be having chit chats and not calling like, me up. It would be nice to meet up. And like, <laughs> it, would, it would be nice if I was free, but unfortunately i'm not so I, I need to be selfish in a sense i need to be able to keep my my focus on what it, on the things that i i need to do as well um and not kind of kind of support everybody because it's hard and this is why i kind of create the youtube stuff and i say to like guys look i do a lot a lot of these things are coming out of my own pocket i have the youtube i do my instagram lives um so these are all opportunities to ask questions when I'm when i'm on these platforms but outside of that it's like i want to focus my time on, on the things that I'm meant to do. And I always say, look, if I wasn't doing the things I did in the first place, then you wouldn't even be speaking to me in the first place. So I need to yeah. carry clearly doing what I was doing, because that's the reason why you want to speak to me. Yeah. Um, and I, I just hope off the back end that they understand and people have people are paid for consultation calls to speak to me about whatever it is. So there's questions they have just have one to ones. Um, but that's that's the most I've, I've done. Um, and yeah,
0: and it's, it's all like, uh, it's all full circle, isn't it? So like you say, you're doing, say you go to an event that you've been invited to or speak at an event, so you didn't say no to that. Then you've got your videographer filming that, you've got content, which you've then put on social media, positioning yourself as an expert. Yeah. That someone approaches you and it goes back around. So yeah, I, it's, it's only because I was thinking about this uh, over the weekend that actually I don't say no to many things, you know, come to an event, speak at this thing. You never know who's in the room. You never know who you're going to meet. Um, it's free advertising. I think certain things, maybe I don't want to be associated with certain people, so I might say no on that basis reputationally, but other than that, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't want to do anything.
1: Yeah, I think yeah, I think the good point there is yeah, if you don't want to be associated with the person who's asking, then of course you just say no, and I feel like you should be able to walk away. If it's not for you, definitely shouldn't feel like you have to do it because the person's asking. If it doesn't work it just doesn't work i'm sorry like i remember one guy asking me oh yeah can you do something i was like yeah i'll be on holiday so unfortunately I can't make that one <laughs> and i'm, I'm not cancelling my holiday plans or to come and speak at this event. it's gonna to have to be another time another opportunity if it doesn't come it is what it is i think you've got to be willing to walk away i think having your what you say yes or no to in your mind and and sticking to it is good enough um you don't have to you don't have to explain yourself to anybody you can, say no to whoever you want to say no to. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't shy away from that as well.
0: I think it gives you a lot of power, doesn't it? Um, in your routine, Alfred, are there any non-negotiables? Uh,
1: non-negotiables. I mean, as for example, r- a part of my routine.
0: Yeah. Like I see, I see, for example, at least five times a week you're in the gym quite early in the morning.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think starting my day off with of a gym session. Is a non-negoti- non-negotiable, I would say, because I remember that's what I think lesser now, but I, I think there was a point in time where I kind of associated me going to the gym to having a good day. This how crazy it is. So, so if I didn't if I didn't go to the gym, I, I'm expecting a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> if I go to the gym, I'm setting myself up for a good day. Um, so I kind of I kind of just link the two together to just allow the pressure to kind of make me want to go to the gym. Um, I think journaling as well. I even posted today saying, look, journaling is an absolute must. I think it provides so much clarity. Um, If you've got big goals and you want to try and keep track of that and just see that are you actually taking the steps to get you closer to that goal, journaling is what unlocks that. And as well, it unlocks it when maybe you're not having the best of days, when you go through what it is you're doing this for, going through your goal that you want to achieve. That kind of resets you. So I think these are kind of my go-to and I would call non-negotiable as well, um, that you have to kind of have as part of your lifestyle. I think these are all like lifestyles. So I think non-negotiables becomes like a lifestyle, like like me being on the socials is now a non-negotiable because I I just I built this thing where. I think if I disappeared off Instagram for a week, I think my phone would be going off. Where the hell is Alfred? <laughs> <I up with? laughs> is he okay? What's happening to him? Why is he not posting? So like these are now like literally lifestyle like it's just part of my life i, I document whether it's on my instagram facebook linkedin something because there's, there's some sort of interaction via social media um going out so these are all things that i kind of yeah i make sure are a priority um in my life sure
0: and um just because you mentioned before as well your your own kind of uh, group that you've got real property ventures the weekly group is it
1: yeah so i've got a weekly mastermind group and this all came, funny story, this, so what drove the creation of this group is, well, one, I was getting a lot of questions in the DMs, or oh, Alfred, how'd you do this? Or oh, how'd you convert a house from this to this? So I'm like, okay, let me create a community um, whereby people can come on on a weekly basis, ask questions with their current journey, any problems that they currently have and they're facing and needing some support, kind of have a network of investors who can either have been there, done that, and can kind of provide advice or ways to get around them. And for me, I think being part of masterminds myself, I've seen how beneficial that's been to my journey. So I was like, let me create something similar, which I know would benefit a lot of the people who are currently messaging me all the time and just to kind of cut the messaging out as well. So I'm not getting too many DMs about property related questions. Like if you wanna ask Alfred a property related question, join the mastermind group, that's where that happens. And obviously if you're in the group, you have access to me or well, access to the group um, and me directly through the WhatsApp group. Um, to ask any questions regarding raising finance, securing deals, whatever you need, you can ask. And again, there'll be several viewpoints of how to tackle that problem. And I think that's the benefit, just being able to kind of see, see how different people handle the same problem you stated. And for me, it's, it's, it's a powerful group and it's, it's a growing group. Um, so I'm I'm really proud of that group. But yeah, that literally came about due to obviously loads of questions and me losing my job back in Feb 2020 and kind of wanted to create an, a new income stream as well. So that was the reason why I, I created it and kind of went in that direction.
0: Okay, sure. And I think just to add on to that as well, you get guest speakers on, you know, specific topics each each week, I guess. So
1: once a month as part of the group, we get a guest speaker on. And again, this is guided by the group in terms of where we, or I kind of judge it based on what questions are coming up the most. Mm-hmm. So for example, if we have a lot of service accommodation questions coming up, Then I'll try and get service accommodation guests on there. Adam, uh, Adam Runner, yeah. Yeah, all of of them. They've they've all been on there. Um, So (laughs) I I would always try and tailor it based on what I'm seeing in the group um, or why I feel like is probably the most beneficial based on what's been coming in the last few weeks. Um, But yeah, that's another audition as part of the group. As part of the group.
0: Can I just ask Alfred, you, just because you said it, man. So um, you said you lost your job. Was that, was that sudden? Did you know it was happening?
1: No, it's due to COVID. So, so the way, obviously, I was working on future projects. So when I was yeah. at Jaguar Land Rover, um, the projects that I worked on were being delivered in, in three to four year time frame. So with COVID happening and us not knowing where the future was, the company were like, well, all you contractors who are working on future programs, we're going to have to pause these programs because we don't even know what's happening tomorrow. Um, so until further notice, we're going to have to terminate contracts. And it was a scary moment because it's like, literally overnight, I had a five grand salary a month and that just went to zero, um, which is like mind blowing even. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at, at the time it's, it's like, I, it's, I guess it's who I am as an individual. Like we all face problems in life. I think not kind of getting too bogged down in the now of, oh, I've just got fired. Like I'm thinking, what can I do next? What, how can I fix this problem? And I guess that comes down from my background of being an engineer. Me studying engineering back at uni and learning to be solution oriented. That's all we ever did. Like, we would state problem cases, some you'd think are unimaginable, unfixable, but with the right resources available, um there's definitely ways or solutions to the problem. So, I guess it's, it's having that mindset of okay, yes, you've lost your job, but what can you do? Um, and this, I kind of eliminated a few things straight away. One was, not picking up a CV and going to apply for another job. I was like, nope, there is no point of me doing that and getting myself back in the system. I'd I'd planned to kind of, I guess, come out of the corporate world in November that year anyways. Mm-hmm. So this happened maybe seven months ahead of plan, which I said, fine, you know what? I'd, I'd rather go for the struggle and make it happen than go and apply for another job, start a new place, get familiar with the new place, and now be in this new role again. So it's like, let's just make your work outside of working another job uh rather of let's work on the business and let's let's grow it and see what comes out of that
0: love that man so i remember the reason i asked was i remember um when i last had a job i mean i'm self-employed now when i last had a job um and i got let go all of a sudden you know various reasons can not really talk about it and i was just sat in the car like what what the hell am I gonna do like what on earth i've I've got a job anymore i've got an income anymore i remember i just rang my close circle of people and, and the, the, main, the main the main outcome of that was, I don't want another job. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to do something for myself and just take charge. Um, that's interesting. Interesting. We've got a shared experience there. Um, so, look, Alfred, I mean, I consider you one of these people, right, who actually doesn't, who does things with intent, doesn't waste any time. I don't, I don't see you, for example, posting on Instagram complaining about your energy bill. Or I don't see you complaining. Or anything that's not actually leading to anything else, I don't see you doing. I, I'm not sure if you agree with that.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Like, it's not, I, I'm not one to sit here and I, I hate complainers, people like whine and complain about frustration. I think Alex Halmosi said the best. When people say they're not good at certain things, or they're not, they're not, or oh, it's life is unfair. Um, and he was like, in, in the context of, oh, I'm not good at, for example, selling or doing sales or attracting new customers. His question is, what, how many hours have you attributed to that skill set? And when you stay the hours, the likelihood is you haven't put enough hours in there you can't compare so the top performing salesperson probably invested thousands of hours into themselves the personal development the person that's complaining saying oh i'm not i can't i'm struggling to close deals nobody wants to buy off me blah 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 and you ask them what have you done they're like minimal hours i'm like well so how can you expect to be good at that one thing that you're, you're complaining about you're clearly not because of the time you've you've spent on it uh, versus the other person so I mean, rather than dwelling on, on, on the current situation and where you are in life and not being happy and all that stuff, actually be self-analytical of yourself. Like, what, what have you done to try and get yourself out of that situation? What what can you do to to, to, I mean, to move forward, to add value to yourself? Um, people don't even, like, consider that. Like, I, I say to people, like, what do you actually do to kind of keep yourself sharp, to develop? Um, a lot of people don't like change. People that don't like change are usually the ones that are complaining about the most things because, well, Guess what? We live in a planet where things are always changing. The weather changes every single day. So get used to change. You have to be able to adapt um, and and work on that. It's just, it's just life. No, I agree. Life.
0: I agree, man. So look, people often ask me sometimes, and I always find it a strange question now uh, with the way I am. Look, Shaz, How's your weekend? Do anything nice? And I'm like, I don't really think of weekend and weekdays for me. It's just all, it's all business and work, but let's say you have some downtime. Well, you're not thinking about property or business or anything income wealth creation generated related, what you're doing in your spare time, if you have any.
1: See, yeah, it's going to sound so sort of strange. I, I, I'm actually self cautious. Like I actually self like analyze how I spend my time. And the reason being is like, I know I'm not where I want to be yet. I'm not like, like there's a, there's like an end goal. I don't think there's an end goals. There's always a growth. It's a, it's, it's a growing curve. If you want to call it that. Um, so it's like. If I'm not where I want to be, I don't really want to be spending time doing things aren't aren't getting me to the next level. If that makes sense. So don't get me wrong, I do have downtime. I would watch a Netflix movie or series, but even a series, I, I get so mad at myself. Like I just literally potentially spend eight hours watching something which is going to add zero value to myself. Yeah. So like, spend eight hours. Selling,
0: selling sunset. You've been watching, haven't you? I know on LinkedIn you posted yeah, so, about that.
1: So, so, yeah, selling, selling sunset. <laughs> But, you know, you, you know, what actually, that you know what, what I learned from that show, like, for me, what I learned from that show is, one, there's a different, there's actually a different caliber of people. Yes. Who can turn up to view a thing and say, oh, yeah, we're going to buy this £4 million mansion, um, no contingencies, um, we can close in the next seven days. I'm like, first of all, no contingency one, that's wild. On a, on a 40 million purchase which some people will, will, will check everything and everything on a 200k purchase <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean before putting the sign in even a dotted line yeah. then as well how the hell do you move 40 million in seven days like what what like it's do you know what I mean for, for me it's like it's inspiring I, I I love the show I love the way how these guys are also trying to kind of I guess positioning themselves and getting the buyers to to feel like this is a you either take it now or it's gone, kind of thing. So you, you, there's yeah. a lot of things. I think those kind of shows well, of me, anyway, I'm learning things through it. Um, so uh, yeah, for me, those kind of things, where, where I can watch a show where I can, there's, a le- there's a lesson in there that I can learn. Um, I'm I, I can spend hours and I don't mind. Um, so but yeah, when it's just like a general movie and stuff and it's like no real education in there then it's like what am I what am I doing Alfred? get out, get get get, get off the <laughs> and do some work or, or go learn something.
0: Get out, right, okay, cool, man. So let's talk a little bit about uh, social media. Um, Like like you've said yourself, you've built a profile and now you feel you have to be on it to maintain that. I've written written down in my notes, good, bad, and I've written ugly, but I don't think it's ugly. Let's call good, bad, and strange, you know, what? If someone is looking to start out and the intent is to raise money, which a lot of people's, when start out is, how should they be using socials to actually maintain and gain that profile and raise that money?
1: I think, don't go into it, obviously that's that's the end goal, but the sole driver shouldn't be, oh, I'm trying to raise money. Mm -hmm. And you might think, yeah, you need to come on social media to raise money. I'll probably argue, maybe don't even need to. You only come on socials to raise money when you feel like you've you've potentially tapped your current network and want to reach other people. And that's Mm -hmm. that's what the need of social media becomes. Um, But for me, I I would say, um, I came on social media just to literally document my journey and i didn't really think of it as i'm going to document to raise money i thought of it as i'm just going to just document my journey what i'm up to what is it i'm doing what are my current struggles just just i'm just i'm just putting everything out there obviously by by doing that you start to kind of build an audience you start to be, become this person of knowledge who is or you become this person that's kind of working hard to build something the people start to see this traits in in this individual cuz they kind of get to see their day to day what they're up to what is it? What does a weekly or what does a day look like for them? And over time, obviously people start think, taking a liking to you based on what you're putting out there. So I think just go on the basis of wanting to just put stuff out there just to show your day to day will generally generate interest. Obviously it would only generate interest if you're planting the right seeds. And what I mean by this is if you're just simply just showing properties, just showing properties for showing property sake, Nobody's going to approach you thinking you need help. Um, if you document, oh, I'm showing this property, but I need to raise 100 grand to be able to close on this by the next two weeks' time, and documenting that, then whoever's watching that, who feels like they're in a position to be able to help or can add value to you, um, will be approaching you. So you can't just, I mean, just just telling, the story telling the story of a story for telling a story's sake isn't, isn't necessarily going to benefit you in any, any way or form, shape or form. So I think there needs to be some sort of, driving um conversation within those within those um content that you're creating to try and get people to understand what is this person up to do they need help and for it to be very clear and then for someone to then say okay you know what i've seen this guy for some period of time i like what they're doing i like them as an individual i see they're really hard working um and i want to be able to help them and obviously in, in return they can get to gain as well from it so yeah why not and
0: i'm always big as well on people um again we're starting out to so say look Mix up the networking events in person with social media. Go to these events, hang around with certain people, take a photo, put on socials. Again, it just builds up your reputation. You're not leeching, you're not leveraging off of that person, but it shows you are going for self development, you're going for self education. You get known as a person of interest at some point.
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I think for me, some, 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 some posts, some posts, I'll be, I'll be ruined on, I'll be first, first on this a podcast. Yeah. Some posts are, are tactical posts. Of course, always. <laughs> uh, and the reason why I say this is because people, like, it's, it's, it's very stupid of society. Like, for example, society deems you as someone, I don't know, credible, famous, whatever the word is, if you've got, like, 10K plus followers, I'm like, why? Like I could have 1K, I could have 1K followers and have so much value to give, but because someone's got 100K followers or something, that person is seen to be more val- more, I don't know, whatever above you, basically, which is, which is, yeah. me, is not, not the case. I don't think like that. I don't like, for me, the numbers are relevant. What comes out of your mouth is very relevant. I'll, I'll be very, very quickly be able to differentiate who, who the better person is based on what they say. Um, so that's why I look for more than, than, than the number of following you have, so I think, yeah, that, that kind of stuff is, it's annoying. It's a, it's a society thing, but you can position yourself as best as possible by potentially leveraging other known or more known people than yourself, um, if you're sharing stages with these people, if you're sharing rooms with these people. Um, you can just if you go if you're
0: to mix grills with these people, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. All of that, all of that. So yeah, you, you can you can associate yourself with these people and obviously by form of association the some someone can see it as a positioning obviously of you being credible if you're around this person or be seen to be in the same room with this person so again it's another social media thing and it's like i don't get it but that's how society works don't hate the game play the game
0: play the game man perception is is a crazy thing you know
1: honestly
0: um, people always say to me shash you seem so busy and i'm like yeah, i'm busy enough but i could always take more Do you know what I mean? i'm not I'm not that busy but yeah yeah it's, yes, it's yes. weird it's weird man um and in terms of like you know so now where you are to where you were when you started and you've touched on it a little bit earlier as well um i won't say the bad side of social media but in terms of the weird side have you had people maybe inbox you say, Why are you posting about money? You're raising money all the time. Or maybe people who who knew you personally uh, weren't in the property and now you're like, Alfred, what's going on?
1: Yeah, so funny enough, I was actually at a wedding this weekend. I, <laughs> right. And one of my friends, my old school friend from like uni, um, she was like banging on her. Alfred, I could tell you what Alfred does. We hope what time he wakes up, what time he's doing this. <laughs> he's always talking about money, hate you, don't leave money in the banks. Kind of like teasing him, kind of like like saying, I'm like, and then obviously she kept kind of like banging it on, like banging on about it, and like, or, I was, and, and obviously someone could have seen it as a negative, someone could have taken it as a negative thing, or like, oh, this person is basically having a go, me that like I'm always posting about raising money or why you should you money to the banks and all this stuff, this type of content. And and I was like, my, my reaction to it was, well, I was like, well, good, clearly it's working, because it means you're seeing this stuff and it, it's working and that, that's all I need. I just need you to know, notice me. That's all I care about. Whether I'm annoying or you don't like it, obviously you have a, you have a button on your phone, Click on follow. You can you can stop seeing my content. Not a problem.
0: Yeah.
1: But for me, I, I'm I'm more interested in people seeing the content. I don't care if you've seen it a thousand times. I don't care if you've seen it a hundred times or once. I need you to see my content. So whether it's a nuisance. That's that's a you problem. That's not a me problem. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I'll,
0: I'll, I'm gonna use that from now on. So you problem, not
1: a me problem. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, honestly, it's a you problem, not a me problem. Because how can you tell somebody what level of you don't go to the news and say, why are you guys always talking about negative stuff? Mm-hmm. You don't go to the news and or, like, do you know what I mean? These, these things are like reoccurring things that they just keep talking about. You either choose to listen to it or you don't choose to listen to it. So like yes. I said, if you don't wanna to listen to it, you can very, very simply block it out of your life. It's not it's not a hard thing. Social media has made it available where you can kind of stop seeing people's content if you don't wanna see it. Um, and it's as simple as that. So I don't I don't look at it in a negative way. I don't care what people think in terms of how, what he's always posting and. That's like I said, it's a you problem, not not me problem.
0: Nice, Alfred. Okay, so you mentioned about sowing seeds earlier. Some of the things I've seen from you, um, and it probably is you just sowing seeds with intent. Are you looking at buying businesses now?
1: Yes. So that's the kind of focus. The kind of that that is a sole focus this year. Or oh, just so, can't be the sole. I'm still doing property in the background, but I'm kind of shifting eighty percent of my focus, I'd say, onto business buying. Um, I've got a team in place who will help me kind of generate leads to be able to buy businesses in the haulage industry so I'm mainly looking at transport logistics warehousing companies um to buy these are businesses in anywhere between three to five million pounds in revenue and they usually have like a, a second tier management in place because my intention is not to go in there and be a the business owner who's in the business I want to business I literally want to be a business investor uh, have a team in place who manage this group, because idea is to create a twenty million pound revenue group to start with, and there will also be like an operations director, people I'll put in place to kind of manage this group for me. And on the on acquisition side, there will be me and the team who are finding new opportunities to add onto this current acquisition that we've, we've bought and to grow this group. So I need people that are going to deal with the day to day stuff while I look at still acquiring more opportunities obviously still having relationship with the team that are managing the current business or businesses, just to see where's the value add because again with their guidance they can say look if we go another site on the northeast of England this could increase our revenue by X amount because we have X amount of customers who are based in that area of the country who need our services. So it will be more me focus on strategic um, places to buy to add um, to the business and and improve I guess the probability of the business as well over time. So. That's my focus for the year, and if I don't buy a single property, I need to buy a business. <laughs>
0: That's one or the other. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. For me, I need to buy a business more more than I need to buy a property.
0: Sure, and look, that leads me on to my final kind of question. So, just as a wrap up, you know, what is what is next, for Alfred? What 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 are we going to see going forward?
1: Um, I think obviously there's, there's more growth, but I think more growth on the business buying side. Um, obviously, I just mentioned about transport logistics being the sector I'm looking at. But I know, as I go on, I might look to other, I might look at other sectors, all the tech sectors, prop tech, biotech. Um, the, there's this there's, there's so many opportunities in these tech, and obviously those are more high risk um, companies per se. If you want to call it that because uh, they're new, they're still trying to find its feet. But if you can get into that sector early on, it could be the, the one of these companies could be the next Apple, a beast. So if you can get into those companies, great. Um, but I think for me, being in the business side will probably be, become more of my thing, but I'll still do property in a sense. I will still reinvest the profits that I make from these businesses into property. But what I want to do differently this time around is not to kind of do BRR. I always make this joke. I was like, if you had 10 million pounds, and I want, like, I try and say to guys, be honest with this response. If you had 10 million pounds, you would not be doing BRR. I promise you, you would not be doing BRR. It, it doesn't make sense obviously financially if you want to make the money work harder it does make sense to get to kind of do it that way because that's the way to kind of grow the money and make the money work even harder but the time requirement to be able to make that happen and make it actually realize that that gain is it always you just buy an income producing asset which is in a landmark location you know over time yeah. isn't going anywhere like you can't it's, it's indestructible like the worst that can happen is you have to repurpose the building um, because something's changed or the market isn't supporting that strategy anymore, but it's such a like a key real estate like like properties on Park Lane are never gonna like they're not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not. They're not. Good. They're, this is like prime prime real estate. You can't you can't gain you better than this. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to be able to have that play, be able to have that capital to get into those kind of plays and and acquire a high rise in Canary wolf and. Ho- ho- own the entire building and have rental income come from that. The property always in value over time. So why, why not? Why not? not?
0: And the last question, Alfred, I will let you go. So when, uh, when are you going to stitch together all this video videos and release a documentary, like what milestone would you wait for?
1: I don't know. It's an interesting question. I've never, never, I'll be real and say, I've never thought about it in, in terms of when I just know there will be a documentary. There will be a biography at some point in my life. Don't know when is the appropriate time to write. I don't write too early. Um, cause I feel like there's there's so much more to come. Um and I'll just try and leave as as I'll oh, I'll find whenever, <laughs> whenever the opportunity presents itself when it makes sense, I'll I'll go for it for sure. Um but yeah, no 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 timing on it, it's just as and when.
0: Awesome. Um Alfred, I appreciate the time and um yeah, I'll catch up soon, man.
1: No, thank you. Thanks for having me on here. Yes. So what did you think
0: of that? Please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts, five stars, of course, and also connect with me on socials at Where's Shaz. Until next time, be humble, be grateful, be peaceful.